Hi, this is Chris Foreman from Madness, and you're listening to the Stateside Madness podcast. Hello, and welcome to the Stateside Madness podcast, the one and only podcast of the official Madness American fan service. I'm Lori, along with my co-host Polly, here to bring you news, reviews, and deep dives into the nutty sound of the British pop band Madness. Hello, and welcome back to the Stateside Madness podcast, and it's going to be a good one. Uh, the first of two parts, so we are now on episode 23, and we're going to get into The Liberty of Norton Folgate. Uh, it's a very important album to both Lori and myself. I am very excited, Lori. Well, before we dive into The Liberty of Norton Folgate, let's real quick do The Communicator. So today in the communicator, Rough Trade Records has announced that they're going to be re-releasing a special 40th anniversary edition of the album, Absolutely. And that's going to be out on July 23rd. Vinyl LP, um, 180 gram black vinyl with exclusive liner notes by Stevie Chick, including interviews with Chris Foreman and Lee Thompson. And there's going to be a special expanded edition two CD set. Those are going to be available in the United States and they're going to be released in the U.S. on BMG. And again, that's going to be July 23rd. So you'll want to look for that. All right, so Chris, what time is it? Showtime. Oh, you know I'm excited. You know this is my favorite Madness album. Um, you know, it's it's funny because um, very recently, I, I think I mentioned to you, Polly, uh, when we started the podcast, uh, I discovered that my college president was actually a Madness fan. And uh, for his birthday last year, you know, it just little small gesture. He'd never heard Liberty of Norton Folgate. So I actually got him a copy of the CD for his birthday last year. You know, he listened to it and I asked him, well, what did you think of it? And his response was, you know, it sounds like a musical. Yeah. So um, it does have some of those elements. Um, as I was uh, mentioning before we started recording, I'm a bit of an opera aficionado, and this uh, the album is really laid out very similar to uh, like 18th century French opera. Um, and I would say this one is set up mostly in three acts, but it follows this pretty standard format of a lot of operas of that period. Uh, it does have an overture, overture being usually um, an instrumental piece placed right at the beginning that refers to a song or a musical piece that's going to be coming up later in the opera. So we've got that. And then the story builds 
like I said, pretty much in three acts. I won't go into that now, but we might talk about it a little as we go over each track. Um, and then it wraps up with what people would argue was probably the centerpiece, although not chronologically in the center, of an album. And you would certainly say that the song Liberty, Norton Fulgate, is the standout track probably in the, in the entirety of the album. Um, yeah, so there you go. Uh, uh, take that for what, it, uh, what you will. Um, that's my thoughts. So let's talk a little bit about what's going on with Madness at this point. So um, where we left it prior to our fan engagement episode, um, we, we played that one-off track, Sorry, that Madness released in 2007. Now, in 2007, Madness had created their own record label called Lucky Seven. And that single, Sorry, was released on their own label. Now, uh, Chris Foreman had left the band, incidentally, so the guitarist on that Sorry single was Kevin Burdett. But having their own label, that gave them a certain amount of freedom. I, I, I wasn't able to find a lot of documentation on this, so I'm speculating here. Our listeners might recall that um, there was a little bit of back and forth with the record label, right? So uh, in, in the UK, the band released in 1999 their album Wonderful, which was a new release, didn't do so well. So then the record label really, really pushed them uh, to release an album of covers, which was the Danger Men Sessions. Also didn't do too well. So uh, I, I suspect, I, I don't know this for a fact, but I suspect that the band was really becoming disenchanted with record labels and being told what to do. And, you know, this has to be, you have to do an album of covers and such. Um, and I suspect that that was probably a big part of the motivation for them to create their own label. So the advantage to this is having their own label gave them freedom to offer their own music in whatever formats they wanted. So they were able to offer digital downloads. They could do multiple formats such as box sets. And they also didn't have a record label that was really kind of pushing them that you need to have an album by X date. And as we're gonna see, as we talk about this album, it took a little while for it to take its final form. And there were a number of changes as the process was happening. And I think the fact that the boys had their own record label here, I think that that's what enabled that to happen. I don't think the Liberty of Norton Folgate could have happened the way it did, could have been the masterpiece that it is if they didn't have their own Lucky Seven um, record label. No, not at all. Um, it's It doesn't have really, um, aside from a couple of the singles, uh, doesn't really have a commercial aspect to it at all. And that would never fly with a major label. Absolutely. You're, you're absolutely right. I mean, it's definitely not a, a commercial uh, endeavor. So in the USA, the Liberty of Norton Fulgate was released on an indie label called Yep Rock Records, but it was available in the USA. So uh, why Norton Fulgate? Because it is a peculiar sort of subject to theme an album around. But as they were recording Danger Man, uh, they were having a few ideas about uh, potentially where to go with the new album or what to work on next. And at that time, Suggs was hosting a show for BBC One called A Picture of London. And uh, for that, he and Carl had composed a song, Cracks in the Pavement. And as such, it was uh, starting to sort of stir something in, in Suggs 
um, about chronicling stories of London. Uh, so why don't we hear a little bit from that, Cracks in the Pavement. Noise, naked vivacity, this constant strain and strife. When you tire of London, well then you tire of life. The cracks in the pavements talking, through London streets we're walking, we're born, living over its deeply hidden rivers. out its own past its craze remind us that we'll never quite forget we'll never quite forget i had not heard that one before it's uh it's very interesting but you can really see the seeds of this concept album taking root can't you that you can all right, so um, along with the song Sorry, right, which was their single, in 2007, Madness began performing a new song in their live uh, sessions, in their live shows, and that was NW5. So NW5 was used in a German film. Uh, I'm not even going to try and pronounce the German name, but the English title was The Vexer in 2007. And that movie was actually a sequel to Der Wixer, from 2004. And that's the film which Wright said Fred performed a cover of The Wizard, which we mentioned in the Carl Smith episode. So now we have another song that is, you know, related to location, NW5 um, being a, a part of, of London. And uh, also in December of 2006, the MIS newsletter announced some good news for the fans, Chris Foreman was returning to the band. That was really, really good news. All right, so as we were putting together this episode, I really had to do a lot of research. And Polly, I know you've got your, your Bratz notebook there too with all of your research. <laughs> the Liberty of Norton Fulgate is a concept album and it's very heavy on references to place in and around London, London history. You know, actually, the first time I heard the title, The Liberty of Norton Folgate, I'll be honest, I thought Norton Folgate was a guy's name. That it's not. Norton Folgate is a place in Middlesex, England. It's what's called a liberty. So a liberty is an area in which rights reserved to the king had been devolved into private hands. So separate from the rule of the crown. That's why they call it a liberty. And Norton Folgate was in Middlesex, England, adjacent to the city of London. So this is what would eventually become the East End of London. It was ruled by an elected body of 10 officers, which was very kind of forward thinking at the time. We're talking like Victorian times here. We're talking like late 1800s. And the 10 elected officers did include some women. So we actually have women sharing in, in uh, equal governance with the men, which is very nice to see. It was an 8.7 acre site, which was originally occupied by the Priory and Hospital of St. Mary Spittle. 
And I think that's where we get the name Spitalfields, which is a part of this area. The Liberty of Norton Folgate was once the home of playwright Christopher Marlowe, who was one of Shakespeare's contemporaries. And the first ever stage production of a Charles Dickens play was held in Norton Folgate. According to Suggs, they chose Norton Folgate because it had its own laws, its own pubs, a place for outsiders, crazy writers and musicians. And that seems like perfect for, for our boys, doesn't it? That it does. Yeah, it's right up their alley. So the liberty was actually abolished in 1900. This, this kind of self-contained rule ended in 1900 officially. Now, some activists actually claim that the documents abolishing the liberty were technically invalid and so that the liberty still existed. Now, most historians don't seem to agree with that, but there is this little faction that is still claiming the, the autonomy of this particular area. So Suggs did an interview with The Sun in 2009 in which he said, I thought the liberty of Norton Folgate was such a great name for a record. Every British person's dream is to live slightly outside the law, under the radar, running their own village society. It's a very romantic notion. So let's talk a little bit more about some of the other inspirations for this album. Polly, do you want to tell us a little bit more about um, what you know about the inspirations? Yeah, sure. So um, about 2006 and 2007, Suggs was hosting another show, a British documentary series called Disappearing London. And it would inspire um, a number of the name checks that appear in Liberty Norton Fulgate. Also inspiring uh, to the band in general, but particularly Suggs, uh, was the Kinks. Quoted as saying, my earliest memory of Ray Davies is the Kinks performing Waterloo Sunset, a simple song about people meeting at an underground station, and yet it has something fantastical, the magic of the street you were brought up in. And uh, we've said that numerous times over numerous podcast, so haven't many other people. Uh, you know, Mattis is almost an heir to the Ray Davies legacy of um, writing songs in that slice of life, you know, depiction of life in, in the UK. And uh, this certainly uh, go full force into that on this album. All right, so the album opens with an overture. Now we listened to a little bit of it in the opening song, but let's listen to it again without me talking over it. Here's the overture. Um, since the stage show for the Liberty of Norton Folgate was being presented as a Victorian theatrical show, the band decided to open with a traditional overture to set the scene. And they actually took 
pieces of a, a, a few of the, the songs that are later on the album. Polly is our uh, expert on French opera. <laughs> uh, do you have anything else that you want to throw in there about the overture? Yeah, so the overture uh, references, uh, like we said earlier, mostly the song uh, Liberty of Norton Fulgate. And like any good overture, it starts out with a few rudimentary notes and then builds and builds to something larger as sort of an introduction to what comes next. And what comes next would be what you might call the first proper song on the album, We Are London. Na, 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 na. And so uh, that was We Are London, a jaunty little keyboard number, uh, very upbeat and uh, setting the stage for the story. It uh, name checks a lot of places in the tradition of Ian Dury uh, from Regent's Park Mosque onto Baker Street, down through the cross where all the pipe smoke meet. Yeah, so, uh, and that's gonna be a theme that occurs a few times um, in different songs on the album. And the chorus concept of the song, though, being unity. Uh, can we make it if we all live together as one big family? Um, so there you go. That is We Are London. What are your thoughts on the song? I absolutely love it. I I've never been to London, but listening to this song, this is how I imagine London would sound if London was a song, if that makes any sense. Uh, sure it does. Okay. All right, I, 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 <laughs> it could be the pain meds talking there. Um, yeah, to our, to our listeners, I had a little accident this week and uh, broke my leg. And uh, so I, I'm in a cast and I'm on pain meds. So um, if I seem a little loopy, I apologize. All right, so that was track two, We Are London. How do you like that one? I, I like it quite a bit. Um, it's a very fluid song. Uh, moves right along uh, the same sort of upbeat tempo to both the uh, the chorus and the verses. So that's, that sounds really articulate when I start to pause and remember what the word is for verses. But uh, yeah, so no, I, I, I like it. It's, it has all the elements I like in a good madness song. Well, and you mentioned unity. And I, I really like that, that it really is a theme of this song because they're talking about this diverse group of, you know, of people, you know, Chinatown and, and Compton Street and all, all these different areas. But despite that, it is, you know, um, like, like you said, can we make it if we all live together as one big family? And it's this idea of London being a melting pot of, of different cultures and different backgrounds. I really like that. Yeah, yeah, and that it is. And uh, 
typically like to uh, put the opera reference in there. This would be considered a prologue, often follows an overture. And what it usually does is set up, um, uh, sets the stage for the remainder of the work, but it's usually done with uh, a narrator and uh, different characters narrating their own stories, sort of setting up their identities. In this circumstance, it's, uh, it's the band setting up the sort of identities of uh, London and the places rather than actual characters. All right, so we go from the, the broader scene, London. Now we go very specific and very personal. Track three is Sugar and Spice. I thought I'd seen you round before. I guess I'd like to, but I wasn't sure. You were only 16 years, and yet you took away all of my fears. I held your hand and then I knew I was the one and only one for you. We were married at 21, expecting any day our firstborn son. So that was Sugar and Spice. What do you think of that one, Polly? Yeah, so it's, um, that was written by Barson. Uh, he wrote it about his separation from his now ex-wife, Sandra. But of course, the song is detailing the starting of a relationship between a couple of people and all the goodness inherent in starting a relationship, hence Sugar and Spice. Yeah, so there you go. It's, uh, it's the introduction of characters in the album. Yeah. And uh, I know we've talked about this song before. Uh, I think when we did the Mike Barson episode, we talked about it quite a bit. And it really is very bittersweet. It is autobiographical, um, you know, about his relationship with Sandra, as you mentioned. And there's really this kind of naivete that comes through it, you know, the idea, um, you know, married at 21, expecting any day our firstborn son. And it, it, it just seems so sweet. But then you find out, you know, has our course just been run? The idea that now the relationship has ended. And it leaves the listener wondering why, you know, what, what, what exactly went wrong? But I think it's a very relatable theme. You know, I mean, um, I was, you know, married to my first husband at 20 and we had a kid at 21. And it was the same kind of thing as, you know, you think that this is forever. You think that this is the one, that this is your whole world. And, uh, never really occurs to you at that age that, you know, maybe you're not compatible or maybe, you know, maybe this relationship isn't as permanent as you think it is. And I, that's why I really like this. It's, it's, it's very, very relatable to me. So this is a significant song to note too. So this was the third single off of the album, but it was the first ever Madness single to be released digitally. And again, because the boys had their own Lucky Seven label, this is what enabled them to do this. This gave them more control over their releases and, and, and the formats that those releases would be in. 
but this was not like a single in the traditional sense where you could, you know, go and buy a CD or something like that. It was only available as a digital download. And that'll bring us to our fourth song, uh, Sugg's composition called Forever Young. So that's uh, Forever Young, a kind of sentimental reflection. Um, and speaking of that, uh, there is a Suggs quote, and he says the song is about not getting bitter and twisted in your old age. And I think we could probably say that about most of the guys in the band. Um, they've aged well in that and still keep their sense of humor. Lori, what are your thoughts about the song? You know, it, it, it's a really good song. It's really got that that ska vibe i love betters's bass line on this song it just it comes through so well you know it really just carries the song as a matter of fact there is a madness compilation album called forever young the scott collection so they use this as the title for one of their many many compilation albums how about you what do you think I, I do I do like it, uh, and it does have a great uh, deal of the ska feel to it. Um, yeah, and uh, the album, I think we actually just referenced the, the Forever Young album. We just referenced that a short time ago on one of our podcasts uh, because of the rare singles that it has on it. All right, the next track up is Dust Devil. Small, 
so that was Dust Devil. And I know we've we've mentioned this on a few different episodes. We've mentioned it on the Lee Thompson episode and I think the Woody Woodgate episode because Lee and Woody co-wrote this song. Uh, so before I gush about how much I love this song, Polly, tell me what you think. How do you like it? Oh, I, I love the song. In fact, it's, I'll probably just say, I, I think it's my favorite track on it. And I know we've referenced a couple of times uh, Dust Devil and there's a, um, there's a remix out there by Ashley Beetlebox that um, is really fantastic. And it was a free download, I think with the Eprock CD. And uh, yeah, I, I love it. Uh, I'm really taken with it. It's a great deal more uh, dancey than most things they do. What, are you, what about you, Lori? Well, I, I, I really went on and on and on about this in the Lee Thompson episode about how much I love this song. Uh, it, it's very much like a, an anthem uh, for me. But it's also one of those examples that we've seen previously of Lee being a little bit naughty in his lyrics. You know, we were talking about keeps a gizmo under her pillow. So this might be the first instance of a um, madness song being named after a vibrator. You, but, you think so, really? Why, you think there's other ones that were named after a vibrator or you- No, 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 I think, I, I think of, I, I just, I don't get the under the pillow thing. I really think of a vibrator as like a nightstand thing. I mean, who would seriously keep a vibrator under their pillow? I mean, that could go really wrong. You could turn it on accidentally. You have like nightmares about bees and stuff like that. I know a lot of people that keep their vibrators under, under the, pillow. the pillow. Really? Yeah. Well, and not to mention, even if that weren't the case, I think it's better for a rhyme scheme. Keeps a gizmo True. under her pillow. Sounds a lot better than on her nightstand next to the bed. <laughs> Well, yeah, gizmo, gizmo and nightstand don't rhyme. It's true. No, no, not so much. And it, Polly, you have suggested that that we might do in the future uh, an episode about the adult uh, side of madness. What did you call it? Oh, the the, the sexy time for madness podcast. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I think we should. We'll get I a few we other we'll get a few other things out of the way first, and then we can then we can get to that. All right. Cool. So, uh, from Vibrators to the next track. <laughs> so, uh, the next track would be Rainbows. Let's take a listen. Pictures and elbows. Tiny kicking feet, I've been waiting for this moment. I'm on a roll. I've spent infinity counting silent sheep. I don't need no more sleep, no. I'm all ready to go. I feel today is gonna be my birthday, so I'm taking in the air as if it were my last. I've got nothing to lose, I've got nothing to gain. So just like where I'm coming from, there's only one place to go. Laurie, so I think you had selected this song for one of the previous podcasts, did you, as, as one of your favorites, uh, potentially by Woody or Tomo, is that right? 
remember it being one of my favorites, but I have talked about it quite a bit. The subject matter, you know, is really, when I listen to it, I hear an unborn child in the womb and sliding down rainbows, sliding out the birth canal and all of the infinite possibilities ahead, you know, when you have your whole life ahead of you. And I know I said like the, the kick drum at the beginning, it sounds like a, a heartbeat, right? Like the fetal heartbeat. What do you think of it? Yeah, um, it, it doesn't have a lot of the elements that I really like in a uh, madness song. I mean, it's fine for what it is, but um, yeah. <laughs> it, it, well, you know, it is a very positive, very cheerful song. Um, I, I understand from friends who've seen them live that, you know, this is one that the crowd all sings along with. And, you know, I had been reading somewhere, I'm trying to think where, I had been reading the, 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 the piano part. What was, well, what song was it? Cold as Ice by Foreigner, which I hadn't thought of. When I hear the beginning, the, the piano, it reminds me of the beginning of One is the Loneliest Number. It, you know, it almost sounds like a, a busy signal on, on an old school landline phone. For you kids listening, it used to be when you called somebody, if they were on another call, there would be this busy signal that you couldn't get through. It'd be like, eh, 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 eh. The idea of can't get through. And that, that's what the beginning of the song reminds me of. I don't think that's what they intended. It's just kind of how it comes out. So that leads us to another one of my favorites on the album, That Close. talk about the song Polly what do you think of it uh, I, I actually do tend to like the song quite a bit um, this is probably one of the ones that does make people uh, think of a musical um, that sort of jaunty piano in it so it does have that a bit of that vibe going on but uh, yeah all in all I'm actually uh, I'm quite fine with the song I love it, it I you know, it, it's one of those songs, you know, some songs kind of evoke a, a particular time or place. And, and this song for me is always like cool summer nights. That, that's what I feel when I hear it. So there's a rumor that the song was inspired by a near miss car accident. Uh, you know, the lyrics skidding on the surface with the brakes jammed down, slow motion sliding head on. And then we were that close. But Polly, you and I asked Chris Foreman about this. So Chris co-wrote this song with Suggs. 
We asked him about this when we interviewed him in episode 15, and he said, no, absolutely not. This is not about a car accident. What it is, though, is a really interesting metaphor, I think, for the idea of a relationship and the loss of control in a relationship being comparable to losing control of a vehicle. You know, you could be very close to, to disaster. It's really kind of an interesting metaphor. You know, slip, slipping and sliding and skidding on the surface, you know, I mean, falling in love and you can't help it. You know, you can't help where it's going and it could be absolutely disastrous, but it could be good, you know? Yeah, I think it's, it's, it's trying to kind of hone in on the excitement of a period like that. So, all right. So that brings us to the song number eight, MK2, and it's a composition by Suggs and Carl. Let's take a listen. So that was MK2. Uh, it started off as Viva Londinium, uh, which was a composition by Chaz that he used in the Velvet Ghost sessions. And it's named after the MK2 of the vintage Jaguar, um, which I love in one of my favorite, favorite cars in production from the very late 50s to I think think almost to 1970, probably like 1968, I think. And um, the MK2 uh, replaced by the iconic then um, Jaguar S-Type. And I realize I maybe should have um, talked about the song. So there you go, MK2. Lori, what are your thoughts on that? It's really neat. It's, uh, it's a good mood piece. So you know, you have the, the saxophone in the beginning, you have this kind of melancholy piano. And it's interesting because in, in my mind, when I listen to it, right, when I put on my headphones and close my eyes and really do a deep listen, I feel like I'm watching an old black and white movie. And the lyrics are really kind of narrating what the characters are doing on the screen. You know, no one, no one breathes a word even breathing could be heard. Um, it's just, it's so, so beautiful. And then at the very end of the song, she gets in the Jaguar and drives away. Really, I can't think of many other songs that really kind of bring that kind of imagery to mind, you know? What do you think of it? I'm still thinking about the car. I really want to buy <laughs> one. I want the 3.8 liter. So if anybody out there has one, please let me know. Huh, funny. Incidentally, speaking of deep listening, and I'm probably going to mention this again at the end of the podcast. So we're playing snippets of these songs, you know, for, for reasons of um, intellectual property, copyright, right? We can't really play the whole song. 
But to get the full impact of this album, what I really recommend for our listeners, you really need to set aside some time and listen very closely, but listen to the whole thing in order from start to finish and really just immerse yourself in the experience. You know, don't put it on and then do some housework or compose some emails or something. I mean, really just be present and listen to it. And I think then you're really going to realize how amazing this album is, what a masterpiece it is. Yeah, that it is. And I, it took me actually quite a few listens to um, kind of really get into it. Uh, because if you do, if you go in uh, thinking that you're going to get a sort of tr traditional Madness album, you won't like the experience. And I think as Lori and I had both said before, maybe to each other, maybe on the podcast, but this was um, something that kind of got me a little bit back into listening to Madness more regularly. And when I had learned about the album, I think there was an article in NME or some such thing. It was referencing a concept album and the way they described it in the article made me think that it was, uh, it was a bit of a risky venture for them. So I didn't know really what I was gonna get into. Um, and I kind of went into it a little bit skeptical which was probably not the right idea at the time. So yeah, it definitely took me a few listens to kind of get what they were getting at and to really start to appreciate it. So give it, give it a try. All right, so the next track on the album, and I suspect, Polly, this is probably one of your favorites, On the Town. streetlights streaming through my windows casting shadows on the ceiling the room is oh so empty stand against the wall the clock is ticking loudly it's deafening in this quiet room oh how long have i been waiting So that was On the Town with guest vocals by Rhoda Dakar, what Suggs has described as a dysfunctional Sonny and Cher. Which band is Rhoda Dakar from again, Polly? That would be the Body Snatchers. Polly, what do you think of this one? Yeah, I, I, I do like it. Um, I like anything that would have an interplay between two different people on the same song. Actually, I shouldn't say anything, but I, I do tend to like this one. And um, I mean, let's face it, I'd listen to Rhoda Dakar, read a deli menu, and I'd be happy with that. So I was, I was ecstatic to see that she showed up on this album. You know, it kind of reminds me of um, the uh, Human League song, Don't You Want Me? You know, you kind of have the, the back and forth between the male and the female about the breakdown of the relationship. Now, interestingly enough, 
when the band were recording the rise and fall in 1982, you know, they cut a couple of demos. They had some partial songs, hadn't been fully developed. And there was one back then in those demos called Mike on piano. They went back and revisited this and they took that Mike on piano demo and that kind of became part of the chorus for this song. So that brings us to a Tomo and Barson composition called Bingo. Let's take a listen. on bingo love it i believe that this song was actually written when uh lee was mugged outside of a bingo hall really that's my understanding uh, again i don't know if that's true or if that like the story about the car accident and that close is more of an urban legend but it is kind of cool because it's about this reversal of fortune this guy hey look at me now you know and everything's good and then all of a sudden everything just kind of turns around um, the tears of a very happy old man. Well, and then, you know, the juxtaposition again. Well, speaking I, I, of juxtaposition, I don't think of Lee as being the one getting mugged at all. Again, I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> that That's the story. Um, it's really kind of cool. I, you know, I like the beginning, how, uh, you know, you kind of hear the subway station announcement. And then, you know, you have Suggs, Mind the Gap. So again, we're kind of getting back to this Londonish theme, right? I, I like songs that do that. I like songs that include like little snippets like that. Any other thoughts on Bingo? Yes, Lori, actually. Uh, yeah, so it's, um, it's again building on that theme, bringing back in uh, descriptions of, uh, yeah, of the street scene, of what it's like to be in London. All right, so um, Bingo, as you mentioned, Polly, was written by Lee Thompson and Mike Barson, and so was this next song, Idiot Child. Although he had past history, the mischievousness soon passed. A spunky little kid from Northwest Five, long for the mystery to last. Free as the wind, wild as a March hair. We've got so much to learn Careful that you don't get burned The boy who wouldn't grow up Chasing his own tail The boy who couldn't grow up And out in on bail Always destined to fail Always ending up in J 
So if you have listened to our previous episode, particularly when we did the Lee Thompson episode, you probably realize that there's some autobiographical elements to this song. Polly, what do you think of Idiot Child? Oh, it's my parents' favorite song. I I, I enjoy it a great deal. And I question whether um, there was some effort to, you know, uh, develop this story into describing uh, the child from from rainbows, you know, if uh, if this is a, trying to tell that segment of the story. Ooh, I never made that connection. But yeah, you know, it's going from this, you know, being born all of these infinite possibilities to now um, the boy that wouldn't grow up, the boy that wouldn't shut up in and out of jail, right? Yeah, wow, that's pretty deep. I gotta think about that for a little bit. Well, deep is deep is what I do. Yeah. If you listen to this song, I mean, it, it's kind of hard not to hear this. Some of this stuff is probably things that Lee has heard growing up, you know, always told to shut up, out on bail. Uh, I think it's interesting that they kind of brought Mrs. Hutchinson back in for one of the lyrics. So Mrs. Hutchinson uh, was on a previous album you know, somebody that was having medical issues that, you know, the doctor misdiagnosed and said they were going to die. But, and now we have, you know, Mrs. Hutchinson will sort this laddie out, you know, so Mrs. Hutchinson is now the mother of this kid. I I like the song for a number of reasons, you know, it's catchy. It's got a good uh, danceable kind of melody to it. I also like it for some personal reasons because it reminds me of, uh, of a family member. And I'm not going to say much more than that, but uh, the family members kind of managed to turn some things around. So um, as obviously Lee did too. All right. So the next track on the album would be Africa and it is a Monsieur Marceau composition. Let's take a listen. Africa. And uh, as stated on the Mike Barson episode, uh, a favorite of both Lori and myself. So knowing that it's one of your favorites, Lori, uh, what are some of your thoughts on the song? This is my mellow jam. I love the way that the bass line carries it forward. 
everything else is just so soothing the saxophone you know i mean i will put this song on when i'm having a bad day and i will crank it up and i will just dance around the bedroom you know just i don't know what it is it's just very very soothing for me yeah but i guess that's a whole not only what you do or how you utilize that song but it's also kind of the idea of the song is about um exhaustion um, depression, the need for escapism and imagining being somewhere else and just chilling out. So yeah, so good, good application there, Lori. You're using it right. Well, you know, it's the song is called Africa, but there's really not much in that song that is specific to Africa. It really could have been any place. It could be any any place, I guess, that is kind of your escape. You know, I mean, yeah, the lyrics say the burning plains of Africa, but I mean, you could substitute, you know, the uh, Akron. You could say you were going down to Akron. Yeah. Is that relaxing for anybody? I don't know. I was thinking like you could substitute, you know, like the beaches of Key West or, um, you know, Rocky Mountains. I mean, anywhere that, you know, for you is just kind of this escape where your mind is going, you know, your escape from work and a, a relaxing, safe, calming place, you know? So from the burning plains of Africa to the local postal code, this is NW5. NW5. Uh, that actually is a single that predates the album a little bit. It was one of the first tracks that was written on the album. Polly, what do you think of NW5? Well, you know, it's it's one of the bigger songs from the album, one of the most recognizable, and also makes a, an appearance in most of their set lists these days. So it's definitely a Madness fan favorite. It does have that Motown vibe, that very upbeat and rousing chorus. And uh, yeah, it's got everything I think you would want in uh, the song. And I do believe it is this somewhat nebulous character in the relationship. Um, I think uh, uh, reaching out to could be both the, the girl in the relationship, it could be them reaching out to the child in the relationship too saying that they, you would give everything basically to see them happy again. Uh, we'd had, um, we have discussed this in previous episodes. So NW5 again is the postal code for Kentish Town. 
And there was some debate as to some of the lyrics, you know, back and forth. Obviously, the lyrics on the website are incorrect. So I went back and I watched the uh, the Julian Temple film of the Liberty of Norton Folgate, and Suggs is definitely singing "Taut Bullet Eyes." So I think we can settle this once and for all. I also know uh, somebody who's close to Lee also wrote us and said it was "Taut Bullet Eyes." So I th I think we can put that one to bed. All right, and getting close to the end of the album now, and it's kind of time to tie things back in with the theme. So we've had all these intermittent sort of vignettes, these little stories. We've had little bits about the relationships. We've had little bits about the kid. We've had little bits about London. And so now it's time to kind of draw all that stuff back in together. So the next and penultimate song on the album would be the Clerkenwell Polka. I request that the best of our minds be impressed to repent of their crimes for the truth is there all for to see what can be said in defense of man's tyranny that was the Clerkenwell polka. Um, so the polka, as you may have noticed there, in 2-4 time, pretty fast, usually between 120-124 beats per minute. Uh, in this one, well, it exceeds that. It's at 133 beat per minute. Um, and even though it is a polka, I think you can uh, see a couple of other elements in there. Uh, there's a bit of New Orleans and Dixieland style jazz in there as well. And uh, yeah, so it's got, it's sort of typifying that variety of sounds uh, that you would see in a place like Liberty Norton Folgate with all of those different influences from the different people from different parts of the world, really. Lori, what are your thoughts? You know, you and I have kind of talked a little bit. Um, there was a conversation that you and I had had offline where you had asked, because you know I'm in Chicago, you had asked if there was a Soul Train Museum in Chicago. And I wrote you back and I said, no, there is not. However, we do have the International Polka Association. And there is actually a Hall of Fame in the International Polka Museum. And that's uh, that's here in Chicago. Okay, well, thank you. And, and thank you for mentioning the Soul Train or the non-existent Soul Train Museum. I, 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 I'm happy you have a polka museum. I hope it's loaded with a ton of uh, Frankie Yankovic stuff. You know, we love you folks in Chicago, but please, how about a Soul Train? It's like Chicago's crowning achievement. Why not have the museum of Soul Train? All right, so there you go, guys. You heard it first on Stateside Madness. 
a, a Soul Train Museum. Uh, Polly is going to spearhead the the effort. I'll start do that. A start a petition. Yeah. half Polish, so I appreciate a good polka. This one starts out a little bit slower, but it really, you know, where it picks up and gets to be double time, and then I can really kind of feel that polka swing to it. I love the end because it, it just reminds me of the song, Everybody Wants to Be a Cat from the Disney movie, The Aristocats. Go back and listen to it, Polly. You're shaking your head at me and rolling your eyes. Go back and listen. That, that I, ending- I, I, I haven't seen the Disney movie. You, you haven't seen it. Don't you have kids? No. I have a kid, but we don't like Disney movies. What? What kind of kid is this? Where did you find this kid? Well, she's great. <laughs> she's great. She likes- Fast cars and superhero movies. Okay, well, uh, then I'm going to give you some homework. I'm going to make you uh, look up. I'm going to make you look up. Everybody wants to be a cat, but the very end of this song, where where Chaz is kind of doing this this scatting, like you know, you mentioned kind of almost like a New Orleans jazz influence there. That really reminds me of that, and so I I, I like that. You know, it's, for me, that's a good association. Okay, so moving on to the final track, which is The Liberty of Norton Folgate. Now, this is 10 minutes and 10 seconds. It's essentially four songs in one. And rather than playing just a snippet of it, because it's how are we going to pick which part of it? Because there's so much going on here. What we've decided to do is we're going to close with the entire song so that our listeners will really be able to catch it from beginning to end. And there's a lot to unpack in this song, particularly there are a lot of references to people and places. And many of these are not going to be familiar to American listeners. I'm, I, um, you know, like Jack Norris, the musical shrimp. I had to look a lot of this stuff up. So what we've done, put together a, a short companion piece about the people and places listed in the song. It's Polly, uh, you, you, you kind of uh, noted that it's very academic in nature, <laughs> um, but uh, it really goes into what, you know, what all these places and who all these people are to help people understand it. So that's going to be posted on statesidemadness.com the people and places of the Liberty of Norton Folgate. So I encourage our listeners to log in, check it out, you know, maybe as you're listening to it, so you can kind of understand these people and places. And of course, um, there is that one sort of spoken word section in there, and it is reference to Edgar Allan Poe's short story, The Man of the Crowd, where the narrator is an observer of, you know, people passing on the street in London. And here it is. Drunkards, innumerable and indescribable, some in shreds and patches, reeling, inarticulate, with bruised visage and lackluster eyes, and all full of a noisy and inordinate vivacity, which jarred discordantly upon the ear and gave an aching sensation to the eye. 
you know, isn't it interesting as I was listening to this and again, right? Sugg says jarred discordantly upon the ear and gave an aching sensation to both pair of eyeballs, both pairs of eyeballs. I don't get that part. That's a Suggs thing, right? That's not the Poe thing. Uh, yes, no, it doesn't read as eyeballs at all in Poe. Let alone both pairs. How many pairs of eyeballs do you have, Polly? I'm going to go ahead and say one. I hope so, because if you have more than that, I'm going to think you're a serial killer. So anyway, it was interesting to me that he threw in this reference to Edgar Allan Poe, because that is not Victorian London related. Poe was from Boston, right? We, we learned that in our American literature classes in high school. But it does still kind of keep with that kind of darker mood that a lot of these songs have. So anybody that throws an Edgar Allan Poe reference into a song, I immediately love them more. So, uh, you know, I love this even more. What are your thoughts of the song, The Liberty of Norton Fulgate, before we listen to it, Polly? Well, I appreciate it more as, I think, a suite um, than an individual song. So like you said, there are essentially four different songs happening in it. It's, it's very sweeping and it is jam packed with just a lot of the, I mean, it's incredibly smart for one and very ambitious. And the fact that they tried to incorporate so much into that um, is a real credit to them. These things go awry very quickly and people make just incredibly pretentious and sort of self-indulgent pieces of music when they try to do that much. So there's a lot of reasons why this could have gone off the rails and had it uh, probably ruined the entirety of the album. So they're, they're very fortunate to have done so much and had it play so well. I, I, I love it in spite of it being the sort of thing that I would be very dismissive of in almost every other circumstance. I think it's fantastic. It's almost hard to believe that this is the same band that was writing songs about nice man George, the underwear taker, right? I mean, yeah, yeah. completely different ends of the spectrum from lowbrow to very intellectual. And I think that just kind of shows how the band has evolved over time. And Polly, I seem to remember from previous discussions that you really like the, the part um, about in the beginning was the fear of the immigrant and the kind of uh, chant that precedes that. Is that, was my memory correct there? Yeah, yeah, no, I think that's a very endearing part of the song and uh, boy, doesn't it um, really resonate in 2021. Yes, even more so. I mean, they, they, could, have, they could have written this song yesterday. And it's still, still very timely. And I was wondering too, now I'm just kind of speculating, but the, the ah, 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 chant that he's doing, it kind of reminded me a little bit of Zeppelin, the immigrant song, a little bit. Uh, again, I mean, they're two very, very different songs from different genres, but you know, immigration and then the kind of chant thing. And I don't know, am I, am I, no, you're 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 not wrong there, and I can see the I can see the Zeppelin thing there. I also think it it's um, sort of a um, 
maybe you might call it a low grade imitation of Tuvan throat singing as well. Yeah. Hmm. I don't know anything about that at all. So I'm going to have to look that one up. Really? What kind of, yeah. What kind of throat singing? Tuvan. T-U-V-A-N. Okay. Yeah. See, I'm always learning new stuff from you. That's great. So again, we're going to close this episode with this song. So please, you know, sit tight. You'll be able to hear the masterpiece in its entirety. So this is now Polly's favorite part of the podcast where we ask uh, each other, what is your favorite and least favorite track on the album? So Polly, let's start with your favorite track on the album. Uh, well, I've already pretty much disclosed that. It's, it's definitely Dust Devil. Okay, and you know Dust Devil is mine as well. NW5 is a close second. It really is. How about least favorite track for you? Oh, it's definitely Rainbows. Yeah, okay. I, it, not a lot there for me. Okay. You know, and, and this is one of those where it's really, really hard because there is not a bad track on the album. So even for me, you know, Rainbows is my least favorite as well. But I mean they're all so very good that even being my least favorite, it is still way up there as far as the madness discography is concerned. You know what I mean? So by saying that that is my least favorite, I'm not disparaging it at all. It's just, to me, it's, it's the weakest song on the album. So let's talk a little bit about the impact of this album. When this first came out, this was 2009, I think a lot of Madness fans didn't get it. I don't think they got what the band was trying to do. I mean, it is a concept album. Although it has some elements in common with some of Madness's previous work, you know, the Scott influences, the name checking, the lists, stuff like that. It really is a deviation from, I think, what people were expecting from Madness at the time. And I remember talking to people um, in, in online conversations where a lot of people were saying, no, this is my least favorite Madness album. But I've also noticed that over time that has really changed. That over the years, I'm, I'm hearing more and more people that are saying, now this is my favorite. To me, this is Madness's Sgt. Pepper's where they really, they took things in a different direction. Maybe people didn't get it at first. It was very high concept, but this is going to go down, I think in the band's history as their magnum opus, as their masterpiece. Uh, what do you think, Polly? Well, I, I guess I'd just, uh, you know, probably say, you know, everything you just mentioned, I would entirely agree with that. I think it's saving graces that it is really both a concept album and then you might even say loosely a concept album because I think they were whether it was purposeful or inadvertent they certainly many aspects of it are definitely purposeful all the name checking the references to London all of that very you know tightly bundled up but then you get things that are a little bit more vague and maybe purposefully nebulous. Uh, there's the, the relationship element and things like that. There's actually not any names attributed to that. The different songs reference, uh, particularly towards the center of the album, uh, reference, you know, what we said could have been 
um, autobiographical about Lee, but then used in the album because it does kind of fit with a lot of the themes they're, they're putting out there. But, um, you know, you don't see that in a lot of other concept albums. I, I think of uh, Tommy in particular. It's very defined and very structured. And there's the story you could read um, just off a page. You'd know who all the characters were and what the whole point of it was. This offers a lot for the imagination because it never really tackles, aside from the elements about London, it really never tackles everything completely directly. So I think, I think that's part of what allows the music to shine through as well, is it's not uh, focusing completely on uh, a linear storyline. So you mentioned Sgt. Peppers. I would really think this is pretty much um, in line with the Kinks Village Green Preservation Society. It is really them chronicling a life in the UK and uh, beautifully I'd say at that. And on that note, that's a good place for us to end it. So for our listeners, this is actually the first of a two-part episode. We're going to do part two um, in two weeks. So please tune back in. So that episode will be on July 11th. Now, one of the topics we're going to discuss in that episode is going to be the Julian Temple film of the Liberty of Norton Folgate. So between now and then, to give our listeners an opportunity to view it, we're going to try something we've never done before. We're going to host a Facebook watch party. We're going to be doing this on July 4th, Independence Day, right? Liberty of Norton Folgate, Independence Day. Huh? See what I did there? Um, that's going to be 3 p.m. Eastern, noon Pacific time. We're going to be watching it live and we'll also be interspersing it with some commentary. We'll have some of our um, stateside Madness admin team, not just me and Polly. We may have a few other guests as well. And of course, there'll be an opportunity for our viewers to also leave some comments and participate and actively uh, watch it with us. So we're doing this for two reasons. Number one, we want to give people an opportunity to see this film. Uh, particularly since it is not available in the U.S. And, and, you know, if you have an all-region DVD player, obviously you can watch it, but a little hard for some people to watch. But then also we're doing this to test our uh, streaming software that we're thinking about using for some future events. We're hoping that if we can get this working for a video podcast, that we might be able to have some live video streaming events in the future, perhaps corresponding to some of the Madness tour dates. So uh, if you're available, please come to Facebook on the 4th of July, 3 p.m. Eastern, noon Pacific. Find the Stateside Madness Facebook page, and we'll be uh, watching it together there. So on that note, goodbye from me. And goodbye from me. Go get a beer, Stateside Madness, preferably from Mr. Truman's Beer Factory. Jack Norris, the musical shrimp and the cadging ramble.
a little bit of this Would you like a bit of that? But in weather like this You should wear a coat, a nice warm hat A needle and thread The hand stitches of time Rattling Levinsky versus Jackie Burr Bobbing and weaving an invisible line So step for step And both lights on our feet We'll travel many a long dim silent street Would you like a bit of this? Or a little bit of that? A little bit of what you like does you no harm You know that Perpetual steady echo of the passing beat A continual dark river of people In its transience and in its permanence But when the street lamp fills the gutter with gold So many priceless items bought and sold Sunday afternoon, the stall holders all Kool-Aid 